are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit organization Win Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global product lead at Win by Night and product manager by day. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Win Win Podcast. I know I say this every time, but it is so crazy to think that we are already in December. I was reviewing all of the amazing speakers we had on this year, and I just could not believe how lucky we have been to learn from the amazing ladies of season six. Today, of course, is no different. You'll hear it right away, but Patrice Meager, today's guest and the founder and CEO of Milkmate, is a total powerhouse. Prior to starting Milkmate just last year in 2022, she was an executive vice president at CBRE in the brokerage services group, as well as worked in sales at Preferred Real Estate Development. Part of the reason why I have been hosting this podcast for over three years is because so many times you don't think something is a problem unless you experience it yourself, which is exactly what happened with Patrice. As a working mom, she was faced with endless stream of to-do lists, both personal and professional. And when it came to breastfeeding, the choice was either giving up or pumping in ways that were either uncomfortable or not sterile, like in the bathroom of her office. So she came up with Milkmate, which helps employers address lactation needs in a meaningful way and employees to not have to bring anything to work in order to be able to breast pump. Milkmate's solution is comprised of modular furniture components that include a built-in, multi-user, high-performance breast pump, and single-use parts that come pre-assembled and pre-sterilized, ready for immediate use. I cannot wait for you to hear Patrice's story and learn more about the ways that she's bringing her decades of experience in real estate to envision the workplace of tomorrow. Hi, Patrice. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm good. It's a sunny day in New York, Thank so God. no real Finally. complaints. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm so thrilled to get to know you more and, of course, talk about Milkmate, a turnkey all-in-one breast pumping solution that you founded. Prior to being the CEO and founder of your own company, you spent the last 15-plus years working in the corporate world. Amen to that. Yeah, thank you. And throughout that time, you actually had children. I'd love to start this episode by asking what you thought your childbearing experience would be like. Did you envision yourself as this working mom, or were you a big planner around any of that? Well, it's a good question. So we, so when I started having kids, I was working in commercial real estate, like you said, and it was always an aspiration of mine to have a lot of kids. So that was something that I always wanted my whole life. It was also an aspiration of mine through high school and college to pursue a career as well. I didn't really know what that career was going to look like. I knew that I was definitely a sales-driven type person. And so that led me to commercial real estate sales and brokerage, which is, is really is really a sales career. And so when I was pregnant with my first child, it wasn't really there wasn't really a, a question for me that I was going to come back. I, I just, I knew I was going to at least try to come back. And so you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't like a decision that I sort of belabored over. I mean, I think if something had happened with my child when they were born, obviously there would have been a, a different decision making, but I had built my career and I was pretty, 
engaged and passionate about it. So when I got pregnant with my first, it was just, okay, what's the plan? What's the maternity leave? And okay, how do I find a nanny? And Or or am I going to do daycare? What am I going to do? I just sort of followed those steps. And then I did go back to work. And then it sort of happened the same way with my next three kids. So it wasn't really like this big moment that I decided to choose work. It was almost sort of like, I just, it just was part of who I was. And I was going to, I was going to continue doing it. But with your industry specifically, you know, yeah. every industry has its own challenges. How did you think about motherhood and that plan as it relates specifically to your industry? Yeah, look, I worked in commercial real estate, which is historically mostly men, um, mm-hmm. which I, you know, always saw as a benefit being one of the only women. I definitely was a little bit more nervous to make the announcement that I was pregnant. I wasn't really sure what that was going to look like or how people were going to react to it. And I was pleasantly surprised that people were happy for me that I wanted to start a family. But it was definitely, it's definitely an industry like many industries in New York, like finance and and private equity and that sort of thing, where you, it's not really built for like the working mom sort of amenities and needs that go with it in order to, and that, that help make the life of the working mom work. And especially when I started having kids, I started having kids 14 years ago. And so we kind of had to build what that was going to look like, right? Like what it was going to look like from a maternity leave policy, what it was going to look like when I came back, what it was going to look like from a scheduling standpoint, from a business standpoint. So I don't even know if that answers your question. No, it's it does. And it's interesting because as you talk about building out these processes, I mean, I can clearly see already that you're an entrepreneur. But in some ways, I imagine it was really empowering to say, like, what should the maternity policy be? But at the same time, there's almost that unspoken burden of why do I have to be the person to like, break through this ceiling and define that for my company? Yeah, like when I look back on that, to me, from again, even 14 years ago, and I spent, you know, five years before I had kids in the commercial real estate industry, it wasn't, it didn't dawn on me that maybe these systems should already be in place. Mm. If that makes Mm -hmm. sense, right? It was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going out on maternity leave, and I want to come back. So, okay, what needs to happen next, right? And in fairness to the people that I worked with, there just hadn't been that many women before me. There were some amazing Mm -hmm. trailblazers that super successful women in commercial real estate that are still super successful and were, were leaders and mentors to me, but there weren't that many. So it was, mm-hmm. and, and I think this goes is across the board. It's not just commercial real estate. It's like a totally. lot of times there's a lot of companies right now that are just building their maternity, their maternity leave policies, their paternity leave policies and making them better and in line with what market is now demanding. But it wasn't market at that time for working women like me to sort of demand that stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. when you look at, employees today, they're way more focused on family amenities and wellness benefits than they are about salary. That was not how things were in my day, right? It was more get a seat at the table, get your foot in the door, you know, how do you move up the ladder? How do you lean in, right? And Mm -hmm. so for me, it didn't really, it, it didn't, I wasn't angry. I wasn't, I just sort of thought this was how it was. Right, right. I have lots of friends that are working mothers that are on child number four, that are on child number one, or currently pregnant. And I've definitely felt more and more connected to them as somebody currently without kids. And I've been really proactive about my own fertility journey. Totally. Never really spoken about this on the podcast, but it resonates with what you're talking about. You know, I'm in in the process of an egg freezing journey. And the fact that I'm even doing that, people are like, oh, is something wrong? And I'm like, no, I want to be proactive about my fertility 
fertility journey and my motherhood journey, and I'm very privileged that my employer does cover that, which is a huge benefit that 99.999% of the world obviously doesn't have. Totally. I think like that, it's just making it something that people talk about too, right? Like when you talk about, I mean, what's interesting to us, and we'll get to this, I'm sure, but when we're onboarding people with our service, a lot of times women come to learn about what we're doing that are not are far from even thinking about having a family, right, but right. want to know that eventually that would be an option for them. And so in my day, when you announced you were pregnant, it was it was almost like I was embarrassed to say I was pregnant. Mm-hmm, Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. um, okay, where's the wellness room? It's like you shouldn't – I was seeking those things out, right? Like I was seeking right. those solutions out. And, again, this was across the board, right? This was for teachers too. Teachers were right. going back to work and they didn't have any place to pump or they didn't have great maternity leave. This is for doctors, for nurses. And at that time it just wasn't common to sort of advocate for yourself when it came to – wellness benefits and maternal benefits. Absolutely. And so you go ahead with this plan, you go, you have the kids and you come back. And I imagine you realize that the world is not as rosy as we like to think it to be. So what was that initial comeback like? You touched on the specific challenge around breastfeeding, but what was the overall picture like? Yeah. I mean, like everything changes, right? I mean, before all I had to worry about was getting up and getting myself to work and and I could work as many hours as I needed to. And I didn't have to worry about taking care of another human or making sure that they're fed or making sure that they're healthy and they're getting to their doctor's appointments. So it's just a whole nother layer of complexity, right? And what I learned over time with having four kids and being a working mom with four kids is that it's all about efficiencies, right? And, Mm -hmm. And it's all about time. Everything is about time. I mean, my, my whole mission is life is to improve efficiencies and time for the working parent. And that is really the way that you make the life of the working parent work is that you provide them more time to do what they need to do at work and do what they need to do at home. But that's logistically challenging to figure out. Everything is new. Like one thing I used to always say while I was working at my same job for a long time was that everything in my personal life changed. I moved to New York City. I got married. I had four kids. I lost a parent. I, my career went up and, and changed. So everything was changing. But at least when I walked in the office, I, I knew what to do. So that routine right. was the same. It was just adding in this whole extra layer of logistics about everything else. And it's still the same. I mean, my logistics have become even more complicated with having kids that are 6 to 14 now, you know? Wow. So, and being a founder, right? Don't yes, forget that part. Yes, it's a yes. very different ballgame than yes. a corporation behind you. So yeah. on that note, of course, Milkmate, your company, comes into fruition. Tell me about how this went from, wow, I have this problem. Why aren't more people talking about it? To an actual solution that you are now, you totally. now developed and are distributing. Yeah, so... It was an evolution, not a revolution, I always like to say. So mm-hmm. basically, I um, I had my first son at the end of 2009. I was given 12 weeks maternity leave. I was still breastfeeding when I came back to work. If you are breast, if you want to continue breastfeeding, you have to pump when you come back to work. Um, at that point in time, there was no laws in place for providing private pumping space. That was early 2010. The laws didn't go into effect until the end of 2010. So I found myself pumping in the bathroom, which is very unhygienic and not easy. And I made it two days pumping at work. If you don't pump, your milk supply goes away. So Mm -hmm. I had to stop breastfeeding. And at that point in time, it was important for me to be a good mother at home and to be a good worker. So I I gave up on the pumping and I kind of just went back to my regular life. 
Fast forward to my other three kids, the laws had changed, but I still had to walk up three flights of stairs through a whole bullpen of men just to get to the wellness room to realize that I forgot a part. If you forget a part, it doesn't actually work. If it doesn't mm-hmm. work, now you're engorged, now you're leaking milk, and there's a whole domino effect of issues. You're late for the next meeting, and I'm running around like a crazy person trying to make all this work. You've got to bring all your parts with you to work. You've got to wash them in between each use. You have to do it two to four times a day, bring everything home with you at the end of the day. So it's extremely time-consuming and complicated. And then at the same time, I'm in commercial real estate, so I'm advising landlords, tenants, real estate advisors, architects, furniture vendors, designers, everyone about, oh, no, 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 this is where you should put the wellness room. This is what it should look like. Oh, no, no, it should be close to this. It should be discreet. People should feel private. And in all of those years, I'm pumping at work. I'm helping my real estate clients make their wellness spaces better. I'm like, why is there not a better way to do this? Mm-hmm. You know, why can we fly across the world, but we can't figure out a better way for women to pump at work? And there's so many women that are doing it, right? So that's essentially how we came up with the Milkmate. And originally, it was really just this multi-user pump, which is the strongest and the most efficient way to pull milk with pre-assembled, disposable, one-time use parts so that when women come to work, they don't have to bring anything with them um, in order to pump. And it's a wellness amenity paid for entirely by the employer. But over time, it became a service and we actually turnkey the entire room. So that includes any furniture necessary for it as well. And so we are trying to make the job of the employer easier to do right by their employees. And we're, of course, trying to make the life of the working mom easier as well. Amazing. So you already mentioned not as much a pivot, but evolving the company. How have you been able as a small operation figuring out startup life to really do the user research, quote unquote, and to really make those choices? Well, what I'll say is, look, I looked, I worked in commercial real estate for a long time. I was an expert in that. And what I did when I started this process was really seek out other experts, that I needed, right? Like this is a medical device. So I needed an engineer. I needed an FDA consultant. I needed a quality consultant. So that was my first step and um, was working with engineers to do all the research and development around what users want, what makes the, the best user experience for them and what the customers want too. So we did a ton of research around that before we ever came up with the product of what it is today. And the product continues to evolve based on what our users and our buyers want as well. Coming from a corporate background, you know, there are so many cushy parts of the job. Like you have a very clear, this is what you have to do. Of course, there's many, many bumps along the way. But how was that transition like for you going from such a corporate career to saying, okay, I'm the person that's defining all of the things and I'm my own brand and I have to sell it and I develop it and all of the jobs is ultimately up to you. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest difference is like, okay, you walk into an office space and there's toilet paper there and the rent's being paid and you can make mm-hmm. a copy on the copy machine. And um, if you have an HR question, there's someone to call. If you have a facilities question, there's someone to call. If you need to get in on a Saturday, there's people that are doing everything to keep mm-hmm. you know the, the lights on and to keep everything running. I had an office, I had a desk, I had a phone line, you know, that's all in place. And I think starting from scratch to build all of the resources that you need in order to make that work was definitely a a big change. Like, you know, understanding the contractors that I had to work with, um, hiring a team, a founding team who are, have been amazing. But I think everything that I did in my regular sort of cadence of work day to day, meaning the way that I structure my to-do list or my sales process, a lot of that's the same. Totally. And a lot of my networking and everything I know about sales and being a proper worker, I guess, that I just, I, I kept the same. And so I've definitely had, I mean, it's been a, a full-blown education in terms of, 
the FDA and, and working with engineers and working with different types of thought leaders. But I haven't changed from like a business perspective that much. I mean, we had to do a major fundraise and that's sales, right? And so a lot of my my practice in sales and my business development and what I'm doing with the milkmaid and also my fundraising um, is rooted in my experience over the last 25 years of my career. But I am learning like, okay, we got to make sure the rent gets paid and you have to make sure that the trash goes out and, and mm-hmm. things like that too. And my whole team is, while we specialize in, in certain things like operations and sales and um, HR things, we are all working on everything right now. So that has that's probably the biggest difference right. is working on everything as opposed to this like perfect sort of to-do list of execution items that I have to get done. Right. And if you were to speak to somebody who is kind of has done their career in the corporate world and, you know, they're excited to take on this next challenge, but, you know, there's so many things to do. If you had to tell them, if you're going to do one thing, do this one thing or do it right. Start. Just start. Because if you if you actually put the list together of everything that you have to do, if I had known that I was going to create a company that's hardware, manufactured, approved by the FDA, installed and serviced, there's I would I would just be doing you my wouldn't old have job. started. I wouldn't have done it, <laughs> yeah. right? So you have to start somewhere. And I, the hardest thing that I ever did was ripping the band aid to do it because I had this career that I built for so long, and I really liked my team and I really liked my job. And it was, you know, financially lucrative and it was good for my family and all this stuff. But as a working mom, I was drowning. Um, so actually ripping the Band-Aid to take the leap to do it was the hardest part of the whole thing. And then once you start doing it, you just, it's a little bit, ignorance is a little bit bliss. Totally. And you do have a poster behind you that our listeners can't see that says, Empowered Women, Empower Women. Um, and I'd be remiss not to ask, you know, it is really hard to run your company. And yes, you have a very clear problem that you're solving. But in the morning, when you're thinking about the looming list of tasks and risks, like, why do you actually do this? Yeah, I mean, look, during the the process of of talking to people about what we wanted to do and, and actually doing our fundraise, there was definitely some men that said to me, you know, well, you know, women just aren't going to go back to work now because of COVID. Like, and I was like, oh, so that's like the crux of the entire issue. Like, mm. you think the only reason I work is because I need to work and I do need to work. Okay. But mm-hmm. I also want to work. Right. Totally. So I want to empower women that want to do what they want to do. And I am, I'm not like, I'm pro mom across the board. I think every mom is a working mom. I don't care what she does. And I mm-hmm. want to empower women to do what they want to do. Also, for me, the odds were completely in my favor. Completely. They still are completely in my favor. I have an awesome partner. I have four healthy kids. I have amazing parents, great siblings. I have great in-laws that I'm like obsessed by. Great, you know, the most amazing group of women that are my best friends that, that empower me to do things. And I was drowning. Mm. Right? So if I can't make it work, then what about the women that are single working parents that you know, have a sick parent that have a sick child that are going through something personally. And I'm like, how are they going to make it work? So my, my real mission is to empower all women, no matter what they want to do, to keep doing what they need to do and what they want to do for themselves and for their family. 
So, so important. I really appreciate you sharing that. And you did kind of mention it, but through the fundraising process, we know that, you know, 2% of venture capital goes to women. And a lot of that is because the people who are handing out the checks don't really understand the complexities of being a woman. How did you navigate that process, even just from deciding who your investors were, but also having those discussions along the way? Yeah, because I mean, I, I talked to anyone who would listen, right? So there was definitely people that were big supporters that have known me and understand why I'm sort of the unique per- or my team is sort of the unique team to solve this issue based on our knowledge of real estate and our knowledge of the actual experience and wanting to make it better. Um, but there was definitely people that didn't understand it. And so what I've learned in the sales process and also in the fundraising process is that a lot of it's about education, right? Like I said, things weren't talked about before. Right. And so, and there's some, a sense of some people being uncomfortable talking about what you do when you go into a room to pump. Right. Mm -hmm, (laughs) I mean, you mm -hmm. have to take off your clothes to set up the breast pump to make that work. And so we try to make it like very comfortable to talk about everything. Right. Like, Mm. let me explain to you what is happening for most women, whether it be pumping at work or missing the train or getting there early or dealing with a childcare issue. Because I think if you understand what's happening, the complexities behind it, um, you'll understand why this solution is so important. And I was definitely pleasantly surprised by most people that they were honest about, like, I don't really, I don't get it. Like, and I, this is not something we talk about. My dad would never talk about this. He would be like, what? You know, um, mm-hmm. it just wasn't normal for a lot of people. So we try to make it educational and easy to talk about. And like, this is, this is science, right? This is not, um, but that doesn't include all the complexities that go into just being a working parent in general. And so that's hard to explain, too. So Totally. Did you, did you encounter investors, whether men or women, saying to you, you know, how big of a problem is this really? You mentioned the COVID example, but like when, when people were questioning the integrity of the problem that you were solving – did you just feel like, okay, this is not my investor or did you try to put continuing to uh, convince them? Yeah, I think there were certain investors that um, just don't invest in hardware, right? Mm-hmm. So that was like easy. It was like, we don't invest yeah. in hardware, we invest in software. Very kind and generous with their time. Let me refer you to some other people that you can meet with. So that was easy. But there's definitely the people who are say like, oh, we have a room on site, so we're good. But I'm like, okay, do you really understand what happens behind closed doors? And do you understand the process that goes into making sure what happens in that room can actually happen? And um, so some of those naysayers, I just, um, yeah, you have to kind of just move on from. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to find people that really believe in you and believe that you are the unique person to solve that issue. Exactly. Um, But there's no fun in fundraising. You know, it takes a lot of time. You have to meet with as many people as possible. And um, I would say my career in commercial real estate, which is full of rejection, because that's just the nature of that business. Like you're constantly cold calling and canvassing and getting rejected that I don't really care when I get rejected. Like Mm -hmm. I really believe in I've always I always really believed in my product and the buildings that I represented. And I really believe in this product. And I know it's making the life of the working parents better. We're saving women hours upon hours a day, 23 workdays a year if they use our product. And we're helping employers. And a lot of employers really do want to do better. I will, I'll, I was pleasantly surprised by that. Um, so through the rejection of the fundraise, I just, you know, it ended up being all friends and family, which is great. And, um, you know, with, uh, it was, it didn't bother me sort of when people rejected the idea. 
Absolutely. And it, it all ties into, I think, this larger conversation around what does an inclusive workplace look like, right? I mean, totally. I mentioned my own benefits. Obviously, Milkmaid is a part of that overall vision. But as you think about defining what an inclusive workplace is, could you tell me more about what your vision is around that? Yes. So I would say providing as many tools as possible that make people feel like they can live their personal life and their work life at the same time. Right. So that could mean anything from someone who's running a marathon, right? And wants to make time, make time for running a marathon or someone who family is important to them that they feel from the beginning that anything that they want to do, again, I'm pro mom, I'm pro parent, I'm pro whatever best is okay. And that it's not going to hold them back from being successful in the workplace based on some of their personal needs or wants. So there's a lot of tools around that, right? Like there's, there's gyms. I mean, you know, we think our, you know, our solution is a tangible tool that people can actually see. It helps from a recruiting perspective, a retention perspective, a regulation perspective. The Pump Act has made it way more stringent on employers uh, for return to work, for retention, for advancement. So we think there's all these tools around making people feel in, whatever they want to do from a personal perspective means they're still included. And it doesn't really necessarily have to do with you know, maternal benefits, I think it's all types of benefits. Right, right. Completely agree. And I have to say this from one New Yorker to a seemingly other New Yorker. I, I feel like you're such an authentic person. And I know as a founder, there's so much room to kind of speak your truth and speak your mind, of course, treading with caution. But I am curious about how you thought about what it meant to show up authentically in the workplace while you were in the constraints of the corporate world, which obviously has different rules. Yeah, I mean... Definitely advice that I give women that I've worked with historically that is to just own it, like advocate for yourself. I didn't really do that that much. Mm -hmm. I think my way of sort of staying ahead of things was to just keep moving a lot of times. And if it meant that I had to advocate for something, kind of like when I stopped breastfeeding with my first child, I just, I need, I just kept going. Mm -hmm. I felt that like if I stopped, then then I wouldn't be able to do it. That being said, anytime I did advocate for myself, um, it usually worked out. So it's like I, I, I tell women to do that all the time, just to be themselves and, you know, admit that what you want. And a lot of times you're pleasantly surprised, right? Like a lot of times when I told men that I worked with, they would say, oh, my wife just had a baby. And by the way, like this is a great resource for childcare. Or I used to say there was a man in my office that was my best mom friend in New York. And he would say, stop telling people <laughs> that. And I'd be like, but you are, because you're the one who tells me all the that's working parents amazing. thing to do, you know? And so that. that's where I was pleasantly surprised. Like if you're just honest about who you are and what you want, a lot of times people are endeared by it, first off. Second off, a lot of times people have common situations and they can help you with, yeah, advocate for yourself. And I think people do advocate for themselves more today than I did. And I think I wish I had a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, the, the generational ties are definitely changing. I, I'm a millennial and even Gen Z, who's like not that much younger than I am. I'm like, oh, it's a completely different game. It's a completely different way of conducting yourself. So really exciting conversations, I think, that are taking place in the workplace and beyond. But with that, I'd love to kind of look ahead and ask you the question that we ask all of our innovators. And that is, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? Okay. So one month from now, I see us as wrapping up what I think 
was a monumental year. We received, we closed our fundraise. We received FDA approval. We started the sales process. We um, hired our founding team. So I feel one month from now we'll wow. be celebrating the first major year in our company's existence. A year from now, I see us fully in the market, a known brand, a known tenant that is really helping users and employers. And what that means is that we are in many locations in Manhattan and on the East Coast, and we've just installed on the West Coast. So we will have achieved status as a known brand. And 10 years from now, I hope that we're you know, helping the life, of, change the life of the working parent. We are known throughout the country as a brand that is looking to do this. And we're um, have grown to be a super successful company that helps others, but also is a great place to work for their employees. And what about for you personally? Personally, I hope that I am, I've achieved kind of a, a work-life balance that is, um, you know, really gives me as much time as possible with my children and my family. And I feel successful with the goals that I've made personally. I mean, look, if you're like, you know, working parents or there's always more complications that go into it. And so I always think that things are going to get easier and a lot of times they get harder. So um, <laughs> hoping that I feel really good with the balance because, you know, not there yet completely. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for joining me today. I'm so inspired by what you're doing and I'm sure our listeners will be too. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win Women in Innovation and myself. Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womeninnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.